Hi, this is Eddie O'Sullivan from USA Rugby, from Snowy Boulder, again on Rugby Matrix USA. This is his third time. Welcome to Eddie O'Sullivan. And you better get your boxing gloves on and your mouth guard in because this is toe-to-toe between Eddie and Bruce McLean when we talk scrummaging later on. But there's plenty more to cover from Super League, the Eagles camp, the World Cup, the Churchill Cup, you name it. It's here on episode 20 of Rugger Matrix USA. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Rugger Matrix USA. Looking forward to this episode as Super League really hots up. Bruce McLean, come on in. Hey, Bronk, how are you this weekend? This yeah, is really good. nice. Very, very it's, good. Uh, good show this one coming up. Yeah, we have the big boss on and that's going to give us a little bit of insight as to how the, how the camp went. Little insight into what's going on with the Eagles. Little insight as to what's going on with the the fall internationals and the uh, and the ARC and what that plan is. And so I think we got a pretty big show coming up. We'll talk a little bit about refereeing, and I think Eddie and I'll have a a slight disagreement on um, on one of the refereeing issues. But and maybe it will be an agreement. I'm, I'm gonna I'm assuming Eddie's position, and I'm gonna take I'll probably take another position on that. But. Uh, <laughs> it is an assumption, and you know what happens when you assume. Yes. So we we could be in full agreement, but I, I have a feeling we won't be. How does it go? Something like the mother of all. We'll we'll go into that later on. Eddie, uh, joining us from Boulder. How are you, Eddie? Good to speak to you again. Thanks, uh, Jory. Yeah, back in Boulder, and uh, it's snowing here at the moment. So snow in May, which is quite interesting. <laughs> well, that's, how, how is how is the volcanic ash? Well, I don't know. It's like that. Leaving that to the Irish to sort out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, gentlemen, we've got lots to talk about. Uh, let's just firstly take care of, uh, of Super League. I just want to um, uh, go over that and quickly ask Eddie. Uh, we've seen some classic games. The game uh, that Bruce was involved in uh, with, between Life and, and Nyack. Uh, what a thriller. But um, you must have been uh, pretty excited about uh, how, the, how the last couple of games went heading into the playoffs. Yeah, I think, you know, I was kind of sorry I missed that, the, the New York uh, Athletic Club and Life game. I happened to be in San Diego uh, at the uh, the, uh, the game between uh, Ambach and, and uh, the Dallas Harlequins, uh, which was a decent game as well. It was a pretty interesting game, but I knew that was going to be a pretty titanic struggle, and it turned out to be so. Um, we upload all the games onto, onto online so I can see the games as well. Uh, or after the weekend, or all the teams upload them, and that was a real titanic struggle. I really enjoyed it. It was... Very, very intense, physical. It was kind of the level that we really want Super League to be at because the closer that level gets to the next level up, the better. And you had the two top teams in the conference battling it out. And I think probably a draw was a fair result. Although, you know, I suppose Nyack could have nicked it at the end. But um, I think, you know, they were, they were still happy to, to get the result. Uh, we're definitely happy to get we're definitely happy to get the top seed. And and. Uh, as anyone can attest, life is very dangerous when they have the ball in hand. And we were fortunate to be able to pressure them and put them in a few situations where they didn't have it as often as they probably had liked. And, um, and, and, and that essentially saved us, to, to put it mildly. They're a very good team, and there's a, there's a reason why they have a lot of representation on the Eagles because they have, they, they have the physiques, they have the speed, they have the athleticism. And and it really and it really shows that it's a it's a well run program. It's you know one or one or the two 
or three best programs in America, if not the best. It really, considering top to bottom, it could be the best. But um, Bruce, yeah, that, uh, so well, what, what have we got? Yeah. Quickly, what have we got coming up to look forward to in Super League before we move on to other things with the Eagles? Yeah, I, I mean, looking forward in Super League, it's quarterfinals weekend, and quarterfinals weekend is big. Uh, San Francisco Golden Gate is the number one seed, and they will be playing Old Blue New York, and Old Blue is Paul Keeler's old team. I just don't see Old Blue. Old Blue doesn't have enough of a platform up front, I think, to be able to compete with San Francisco, and I would look for and, – and the travel to the West Coast is difficult, so I would look for San Fran to have a pretty comfortable win there. Um, we play Old Puget Sound Beach in New York City, and I think that Puget Sound can give us a, a better game than maybe people are expecting because Puget Sound has a lot of firepower. they got some a lot of their players who are in the leading try scorers in the league and also the leading point scorers in the league. And they have firepower that we don't have. We tend to earn our tries through multiple phases and through and through sustained pressure. So our points tend to be very slowly, slowly gained and slowly attained, whereas Puget Sound is very explosive and can and can score points quickly. And it's going to be a matter of if they do that to us, are we capable of coming back? I don't know. So that'll be a little bit closer than most people think. Life is playing Chicago Griffins, and as we had discussed last week, Chicago Griffins, through a variety of reasons, have not really played rugby in about a month. So I think it's going to be a relatively comfortable win for life just because Chicago Griffins just hasn't been able to get themselves in sync because of the fact that when I'm back missed their game and then they had a bye in the last week and then they had the week off for the, for the between the Super League, I, it, it's going to be very difficult to go to Atlanta and win that game. The biggest game, I think, of this weekend and the one that is in, in the most doubt would be the Denver-Boston game. And if Denver can play a game that, that is structured and go through multiple phases, they might be able to pip Boston. Boston can play. Boston's a, a very scrappy team. They, they get themselves a decent platform. They tackle. They hustle. They scramble very well. And they have a very good seven in, uh, they have a very good seven in, um, in Michael Bunsen. They have a very good eight in Robert Calhoun. And whereas as, and, and, Denver has the Eagle 8, Nick Johnson, and I think that it's going to be a matter of the home field advantage, obviously, is worth, in my mind, worth seven points at least. And it's if, if, if Boston can stay, can, can stay close and have a chance to pip in in the end, that'll be good. Or if Boston can blow a lead out and not, not run out of gas at altitude. Again, that's a 50-50, that's a 50-50 game to me. I think it's going to be an excellent game. And if that's if there's a game to go to this weekend, I think it would be that. Unless you're in New York, then come out to the AC, <laughs> drink some beer, and and stand on the sidelines on a beautiful day. It'd be awesome. All right, so that's Super League quarterfinal action this weekend. Let's move on to the Eagles training camp. And uh, Eddie, well, we're getting closer and closer to the World Cup, um, but you you had the boys together. Uh, what's what were the numbers of the group that you had uh, in the training camp, and and how did it go? Well, we had. Uh we had 35 players in general, um, and it kind of tagged on with the sevens who are now in camp heading into the two final uh, rounds of the seven series in London and Edinburgh. Uh, so we had quite a few of the sevens boys in, but we overall we had 35 players. Uh, we had two days training. Uh, we trained Saturday, Sunday, and we had two sessions each day. Pretty intense, pretty heavy going, but the guys were mag- magnificent. They trained very hard. We were at the Olympic Training Centre. The weather was perfect. The pitch was, was fantastic, and... Uh, we got a huge amount of quality work done. Um, you know, it, 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 
when you put the two camps together now, the Houston one at Easter, which went very well also, and, and, and the camp in, in San Diego, uh, we probably had in the region of 45, 46 domestic players in. Um, and that, uh, that means we've got another 20 players overseas. So now we're looking at an Eagles pool of probably 65 players, which is kind of where I wanted to be at this point on the curve, you know, uh, because we have a long, long year ahead of us. Um, we'll talk about that later. But uh, the two camps have served our purpose. We've got a pretty good idea of who's who and what's what. And we're hoping to announce our Churchill Cove squad um, early next week. Um, we're just uh, looking at the final details. We've we've had it's been a good spread, you know. We've had guys from the sevens, as I mentioned. We've had guys from the Super League, guys from Division One. We've had collegiate players in, and um, I think we've spread our, our our net very wide. We've had players in from Hawaii who were pretty much outside the loop and and, and the Eagles program, and it's all been very productive. I'm very very happy where we are, and uh, I think the balance of the pool is pretty good. Um, we are. A little bit shy in a couple of places. Um, I'm concerned about the second row. Uh, we've got injuries um, in that area. Um, we've got uh, Hayden Smith, who's carrying an injury at the moment. We'll be out for the whole summer. One of the guys I wanted to look at this year, Cameron Dolan, of life, uh, did his ACL earlier. Um, and we just we just have been skinny in that department all the way through. Alec Parker, another guy with an injury. So we, we've been looking around. Um, and we've also looked at maybe thinking outside the box, um, Mark Barkhoven, who's a sevens player, plays in the wing, uh, also plays with Denver Barbarians. Uh, he's the biggest probably wing um, in America. He's, he's about 6'4", uh, and he's lightning quick, and we're, we're thinking of pushing him into lock now and see how he goes there. Um, he's very keen to do it. He's, he has a lot of experience in the back row before he went to the wing. And a player like Leonard Peters, who's had about a year in the game now, um, has played mainly on the wing and in sevens. We're going to move him into the back row and see how he goes because he's, a, he's an NFL player. He's very explosive hugely impressive in contact on both sides of the football. So it's an exciting time in terms of, of trying to put an Eagles pool together. Eddie, if you, if you take a look at, uh, funnily enough, Brian Doyle, the lock from the New York Athletic Club, after you cut him, had probably the best game I've ever seen him play against life. But um, <laughs> when, when, you, uh, when, when you're looking at your team, I, I think that what, what are you seeing as kind of your strengths and weaknesses? I know it's hard to to lose a guy like a Hayden Smith and, and to lose a guy like a Todd Clever. But are you, are you looking at possibly moving Louis Stanfill or, or Scott Lavala into that other second row position? Or are you, yeah. you know, what, what are you hard, really yeah. looking at? Is- yeah, the, the, the area of the second row is, is an area we've got to look at pretty hard. And, and we are thinking of players like Louis Stanfill who played back row last year, but also cover the second row moving in there this summer. Lavala has had a, a very good winter in Trinity and has pushed his way into the Ulster A team. Um, so he's a guy on the radar. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the, there's a few guys we've got to look at like that. Um, and uh, it's an area of concern for sure, Locke. The back row is quite competitive. We've got some new bodies in the front row. Uh, Brian Howard, who's out of Old Puget, who's uh, ex-NFL, has, has been very impressive in camp. And Jacob Sprague as well, who's, who's playing really, really well. We've Martin Macriola. Uh, you know, Mike McDonald. I found this other prop in, in Hawaii, Tala Sarah, who's ex NFL as well. Um, you know, there's there's a number of new faces there. And then the other conundrum for us is, I suppose, is number 10. And then we've had Mike Harkis there for years. I'm trying to again look down the depth chart there and see who we have and what we have. And that's a bit of an unknown quantity. Nessa Malifa has been a guy we wanted to go to, but between injuries and otherwise, he's been unavailable. Um, and uh, again, I suppose there's a lot of competition in the centres, a lot of guys coming to the centre for recognition. 
And uh, full-back's another area where we have Chris Wise, but we don't have any other standout full-back in the pool. So there's a few areas that were kind of a bit of logjam in and a few areas that were kind of skinny in. And, you know, this summer will be a chance to kind of spread that out a bit and see what we have. Well, that, that fly-half position, I, I think, is is a pretty interesting position because you do have some options in in pretty good attackers, but they're you know the the kicking game is not necessarily what what you would want and you know probably Volney Rouse would have the best kicking game of of the group Nessay Malifa is as good of an athlete and probably the most complete uh package and you're also probably looking at Troy Hall from the AC at fly half who's pr- probably a little bit more of a center but you know yeah. in, in 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 tough times you got to you got to do things because Troy is a is a real good first receiver in second and third phase, and is a yeah. is a good like Matt Guido type of option. Troy was impressed from camp uh, for sure. Um, he, it's the first time I've seen him. He wasn't available last year, and he didn't make Houston for other reasons. But um, the other guy is Tyanosa, his young new um, twenty player we had. He's he's uh, another year under his belt. He can play ten. Nessa Malifa, um, Troy Hall, Mike Harkis, and and. Um, uh, we're also we're also looking at Valny Rouse as well, who's playing in New Zealand at the moment. So there's a little bit of, of of things to be sorted out there, but it's all it's all pretty exciting at this time of the year. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I mean, we've got a lot of names to deal with. There's a fair bit of depth in the pool, and as I said, 65 is a big pool, but it's a good place to start moving forward. But you're you're going in the Churchill Cup. How many guys are you allowed to take in the Churchill Cup? 28. So if you're allowed 28 guys in the Churchill Cup, what would be What's your ideal breakup? Are you going to take three hookers or two? Are you going to take three scrum halves or two? I uh, probably can only take two scrum halves, but are you going to take three hookers or two? You know, like, like how would you break your 28-man roster? I know that there's people who give you flexibility, a guy like Wiles, a guy like Troy Hall if he's selected, or, guy, you know, there are certain people, a guy like Swearing who could play in the midfield, play in the outside backs. So they, they, there's people who could do several things. And yeah. and is, is that going to be a factor, or is it is is a guy more likely to be selected if he has multiple talents, or are you looking for for strong specialists? And and Eddie, well, on top of that, I want to ask a second question. On top of that, you're going to have let's say five five days with them really before your first game, and you're going to be bringing in the guys from the foreign. How are you gonna? How are you gonna set, structure those practices to go forward and be and be planned and ready to go for? It's, it's a big game against Russia because it's the one you need to win, and it's a rankings game. Yeah, the, the pool will be made up of twenty-eight players, so fifteen forwards and thirteen backs, and it's two of everything in the front row: two two props at tight, two props at loose, two hookers, three locks, and six back row. And you don't have a couple of guys in the back row that can, can they're called, we call them tweeners, they can play into the lock position as well. And the backs be two scrum halves, two fly halves, four centers, three wings, and two full backs. Now, when you talk about your, your back five, you know, you're trying to get your best players in the field. So you double up guys there. That really, that's really the breakdown, you know, gives you a bit of, a bit of a spread. In terms of the week, you know, it's a bit like picking up from, from where we were last year when, when we finished against Canada. And the next assembly was, in November again to play Uruguay, and you know to be fair, the, the guys picked things up very quickly, and the systems held held well. You know we, we were pleasantly surprised. So 
hopefully, you know, having had the two camps under our belt now, we'll be in a better shape, um, you know, when we get together. But it'll be about getting ready to play Russia, which is about getting our basics right, our set piece, make sure we win the ball and make sure we hold on to it and make sure we defend it when we don't have it. And, and that's probably the priority. And hopefully over the three weeks, you know, we'll be able to put more stuff in. But certainly it's not it's not the game I would have picked up first, you know, the one I wanted to play first. If you remember last year, the ranking game came at the end against Georgia. And um, that was kind of, we targeted that game. So it's a little more difficult to target the Russian game when you're coming in cold with five-day preparation. I mean, some of the guys won't get in, the sevens guys won't get in until Monday. So they won't be on the field on Tuesday and we play Friday. So not ideal, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. But we, we'll get over it. Eddie, what kind of preparation has Russia had coming in? And is there going to be any advantage that they have over us in in the fact that you're really going to have the guys for four days? And, and you could we could talk about the fact that you had two camps and that's going to be valuable, of course. And the fact that you played Uruguay in November and that's going to be valuable, of course. But... You're still bringing everybody back together, and you haven't had the whole squad together, and and you're really going to get them for three or four days prior to playing Russia. And exactly, what 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 is Russia's situation at this point? What, where have they been together, or, or or when are they arriving in Boulder, or what's what's going to be the story for them? Is there going to be an advantage, or, or are we going to be at a slight disadvantage? Well, I I'm not sure if they're arriving there in in uh, Denver, but um. I, I know for a fact they've had a busy spring because they've been qualifying for Rugby World Cup. Um, they've uh, played a number of games and they have qualified. So, um, you know, they, they've had a pretty busy spring. So they're at that under the belt, which would be a big help for them. Uh, the last time we circled up was in the end of November. Um, but um, so I, I do think they have an edge there. But these are things you can't worry about too much. You know? um, it is what it is. What, you, what about the England squad named for Churchill Cup? What were your thoughts? Yeah, I... Interestingly, there's a few guys in that that Churchill squad, Frank, that I thought might have made the 44 going to the Southern Hemisphere. There's a few surprises there. And interestingly enough, they only named a squad of 26, which is like, um, it was like uh, 14, 14 uh, forwards and 12 backs, or 15 forwards and 11 backs, which is kind of a strange breakdown because if they've only 11 backs, they're going to have 10 of them busy every match. So if they get an injury, they're, they're, they're down to the minimum. So it's a, funny, it's a funny selection. But there's a few faces there I'd recognize that I thought might have broken into the 44. So they have some good players coming in. Other players are young. You know, I think they, they'll uh, be interested to see how they go with. I, I, I think the England-Saxons game is going to be an extremely interesting game. And it's going to – I think I think a lot of it is going to come down to – how do you cope up front and how do you cope in the contact area? Because where they where they beat you last year is turnover ball and up front. And and how do you, how are how are things going there? Do you think you're gonna be able to turn that around and probably tighten this game up? I'm not gonna assume a victory, but it at least tighten the game up and uh and give them you actually gave them a pretty good game last year. It was just a matter of you kind of let a few things slip away from you and like one or two mistakes turned into a real disaster. Yeah, they, they picked up some soft scores. They picked up a couple of turnovers that gave them seven points in our near our line and then they scored a couple of tries from like 70 metres, you know. And a bit of that was an experience in our defence. You know, we, we were only kind of two weeks, three weeks into our defensive system. I think we're a lot better defensively now as we've shown in the, in the autumn um, against Uruguay. I'd be happier we'll defend a lot better, and I, I think our ball retention should be good as well. The only thing there is we'll, 
that'll be our second game in the Churchill and, and we're going to have to mix it up and give other guys a run so it may not be our strongest side going out against the Saxons you know it'll be we've got to try and put our best foot forward against Russia and then I, I, I've got to change things around the following week and, and see how we go against the Saxons and then if we end up playing Canada the final week at Red Bull I want to, I want to again you know go into that one with all the guns blazing so um, it'll it'll probably be a tough game for some guys because it may be you know their their, their first game uh, of the summer you know but that that's what the tournament's all about I mean it'll be the same in rugby world cup in your time we've got to make those changes and 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 build the squad that way that we can make those changes. Well, can I ask can I ask a question about that? The rugby world cup you you have a very interesting and and tough yet strange draw for you. You you open up on September 11th against Ireland. Who obviously, yeah. you know, from for personal reasons, may want to perform against. Are you willing to put away your personal pride and eat it a little, and and play that Russia game on September fifteenth, full full metal jacket, fully loaded, and and ready and prepared to go, or are you going to go full metal jacket against Ireland and try to turn it around three days later? Then it because then you got um, a two week break before you play and then you play Italy. That's right, yeah. Which is which I mean, is going to be you know that's another game that you have to target, but your main target in the in the World Cup initially is has to be Russia. Yeah, at, of le- course, at yeah. least at the, from from my mind. And this is this is I'm just being realistic. I'm not I'm not being a jerk. I'm just being realistic. No, I agree with you. Um, I don't want to start picking the World Cup teams <laughs> this far. Oh, out, I, I know, I know, I know. You, I know you get. You, no, I, it, it's getting ahead of things. I'm just saying, when when you yeah. look at it, the, you know, you, you have to. Answer. I'm just saying, like, you know, if I were to coach, I probably would. I would probably not play my strongest side against Ireland, knowing that I had to play Russia a few days later, and that a two-win World Cup guarantees me entrance the following year. Or the following World Cup, so I, I would really go for the two wins, and and not concede the Ireland and Australia game. But I would, that would be where I, I give other guys their game. Well, to answer your question, um, I I certainly prioritise the Russian game because that's a game we target. Um, it who you who you'll pick and who you'll rest will depend on where you feel your strengths in the squad are. I'm certainly not going to go out in the first game of the World Cup as well and roll over and play dead against Ireland. Um, and it wouldn't matter who I was playing. I wouldn't want to do that in the first game of the World Cup anyway. But certainly the Russian game is a priority. And the changes you make, you know, what you, you probably have your best team ready for Russia and work backwards to the Ireland game and see where you have some wriggle room to make some changes without, you know, taking the wheels off the bus, you know. And um, that's the way I come at it, you know. That, that, that That's the template for using it. And then... You've got a good rest into the next game. Um, so, you know, they're the first two games you play, and I would work backwards from Russia, get my best team on the field for Russia, make sure they're firing on all cylinders. And the changes I'll make are based on where I think we have that wriggle room, you know, to get a big performance against Ireland as well. Because I, I think, you know, Rugby World Cups come around once every four years, and, you know, you should go in and throw the kitchen sink at it, you know. Um, it's a general policy, but you have to box smart as well. I know that. Well, you used to say box clever, and then it always sounded like you were boxing Todd clever, and nobody knew <laughs> yeah. what the hell you were talking about. So now you say box smart, which is smart. <laughs> um, you had a you had a couple comments, Eddie. 
I, I think that we've we've addressed the fact over over the course that uh, about the questions about the scouting and 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 the fact that the the net is not cast in the college rugby or nobody's watching college rugby or you know and and I and I think Matt had put to bed that that's kind of a kind of a nonsense statement and 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 probably shouldn't have been made. And I think having a 65-man pool shows that, you know, that all bases have been covered, all things have been touched. Did any of the college players, uh, Ryan Roundy, uh, uh, Keegan Engelbrecht, um, I I think Duncan Kelm went to the Easter camp. um, Did any of those guys show themselves to be frontline players or – are they, are they still works in progress? I know it's it's a, a little bit premature, but I, I was just asking if, if anybody really showed themselves to be, holy cow, where did this guy come from? Or did they just kind of fit into the group? Well, we had we the college players that made both camps were Hunter Leland, Duncan Kellum, Keegan Engelbright, Colin Hawley, Ryan Roundy, Trent Palamo, Ross Silverman. Um you know, that's a good representation of the college game. I don't think we missed anybody there that should have been in camp, but they all fitted in pretty well. Now, Colin Hawley has been in last year and did very well, so he's kind of the standout guy who, who's kind of broke into the Eagles last year, and he looked very impressive again. Tretton Palamo's been there before, um, you know, and Tretton looked look good again, but Tretton is working towards a, a football scholarship at Utah University, so... You know, if the, if he achieves his goal, he won't be available for Rugby World Cup. But we're keeping the door open for Threaten. He's a talented guy, and he's he's a, he's a fantastic player. And I want to keep that opportunity for him to play for the Eagles if it arises for him, if his football scholarship doesn't work out. But other than that, there was a few guys. I hadn't seen Ross Silverman before. He's a very impressive athlete uh, out, of, out, of, uh, out of Santa Barbara. Um, and um, Santa Clara, as a Santa Barbara, I think he's out of... And, uh, we have Ryan Roundy, obviously, I saw in, in, in the collegiate final fours. He fitted in very well. But, again, I think it's good for these these guys who, to come up to the next level and see what the standard is like, what the physicality, the pace, the technicalities of the game. And, you know, it's not that they're not being coached well at collegiate level. It's excellent coaching programs all these guys have come out of. But I suppose it's just that the level that they, they uh, at which we train is a bit different than they would be used to playing at. But the good thing is they all fitted in well. They all trained well. So you feel like that it was a good experience for them. It was a good experience for us to see them and, and, and get a profile of what they need to work on. And I think, you know, there's a chance that a couple of those guys will break into the pool very soon, you know. Well, if we we take a look going forward, we know the Churchill Cup schedule. You actually have a – although it is tough with the Super League final and a couple you know, Division One finals kind of screwing you up in the sevens a little bit – you still do have four or five days together with the guys, and 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 you're also gonna, ha- you know, you do have those camps, and under your belt now, and you have a week between games. You actually have the one week, one week, one week between games. So that that's not a bad that's not a bad way to break out the the entire three weeks, and and you're gonna get some some good use out of that. What is going on for the fall internationals? Where are you going? Who are you playing? What is going on for the um, – and what is going on with the ARC, the Americas Rugby Championship? Bronk would know that as the Australian Rugby Championship, which was a $4.5 million boondoggle of waste. And I, and, and I honestly – Oh, hold know, on, hold on. It was, a, it, was a, it was a bloody good competition. 
It, well, yeah, I'm not saying it wasn't a good competition. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that when was it was it that much better than the Sydney Comp playoffs? Oh, or, you know miles, what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm, miles better. Miles better. Miles. And, and yes, right, well, there was a massive. It, it cost a lot of money to set up, but if they stuck with it, um, I reckon they could have made it work. And uh, we're crying out for for content. Super 15's about to start, so that might change. However. Uh, in terms of the quality of the rugby, was outstanding, and uh, it's a shame that uh, for budgetary reasons it was cut. But uh, I think it was rushed to through too early, and uh, unfortunately, uh, the way that some club uh, presidents <laughs> behave, uh, it was doomed from the start. So, um, but in terms of the quality of the rugby and what it produced, um, it was round World Cup time in '07, and uh, it got guys to play high quality rugby that they just wouldn't be able to do any other way oh that's a fair statement eddie going going yes. forward with and i you know i know it's a fair statement because i've spoken to billy millard and a couple of our guys on our team had played in it so um but it still was it still cost a lot of money that nobody had um which is very similar to america's arc na4 stuff what are we doing in, in November with the Eagles, and what's going on with the ARC? What's that? What's that plan? Who's going to play in it? And, and and you know, is it going to be like the under twenty? Is it going to be college all American guys? Or is it going to be Eagle pool players, domestic who haven't quite made it or haven't quite gotten into uh, full status in the first fifteen? Well, there's the autumn is pretty much mapped out. We've got the ARC, and I don't know if it'll be called the ARC, but we'll call it that because that's what it was called last year. It's a new format. Um, it's basically scheduled for the first two weeks in October um, in Buenos Aires, and it will be played between four teams. It will be Canada A, Jaguars, Uruguay, and an Eagles select team. So it will be basically a domestic Eagles team. Um it will be the guys who were in the Churchill Cup domestically and the guys who didn't make the Churchill Cup. So it's a really good competition because it's it's a good quality competition for guys who are coming out of the domestic game. It's not the ideal time of the year, obviously, for, for our guys because most of them aren't playing that time of the year, but it's still a good competition. Um, and it will be very important because it will be a few weeks, I think probably two weeks before we head off on the Tour to Europe. And the Tour to Europe has been kind of settled at the moment we're, we're still working with the IRB and I can tell you now that the latest the very latest this is hot off the press is that we are going to play Spain or Portugal on November 13 we're going to play Scotland Day on November 19 and we're scheduled to play Georgia on November 27 which will be a tough game to finish the tour in Georgia but that looks like the lie of the land and the ARC is going to be very important in terms of preparing players to go to Europe and we'll pick up our overseas players in Europe when we get there and, and kick on. Hey, hey, Eddie, I think that Bronk is going to – he wants to be your manager for <laughs> the leg where you are in Buenos Aires, and then he's willing to go to Spain. And then he'll he'll take off from there, and somebody else can take over when you go to Scotland and Georgia. Hablo <laughs> uh, <laughs> Espanol. I can speak a bit of Spanish. and have been to Buenos Aires uh, several times with uh, the Wallabies and Waratahs. It's a good trip. But uh, that sounds great. Thanks for revealing that too, uh, Eddie. Can I ask you, on the European front then, 
You wanted to raise an issue about the refereeing standards that we're seeing at the moment. And, and Eddie, there have been some incidents in recent weeks. Brian O'Driscoll critical of uh, the standard in the Magnus League. Uh, we had the incident between the Brumbies and the Waratahs about uh, Ego getting in the way uh, with one of the referees. And uh, without slamming the refs personally, we do need a general lifting in the standard to match the quality of rugby we're going to see at the World Cup, surely. Well, I, I think there's, there's a big picture here that we should look at first. One is that we've, we've tinkered with the laws um, in, in recent years, and that tinkering hasn't really worked that well, in my view. Um, the ELVs, by and large, were a bit of a disaster. Even some of the ones we kept haven't really achieved what they set out to achieve, and we've discussed that before. So I'm not changing my mind on that. I'm still pretty strong on that. We've now tinkered with the interpretation of the contact area and the tackle rook transition, which has caused a lot of angst for people, uh, particularly during the Six Nations. We had a lot of discussion and a lot of you know, uh, coaches unhappy with how things were managed. Um, and we've had these incidents in recent weeks that have really kind of brought the whole thing to centre stage again. We had the Steve Walsh incident, uh, the Brumbies and Waratahs, where there was two major calls in that game that were, that were gotten wrong. One was the the first was uh, Stephen Hoyles went to ground and wasn't tackled and got up and offloaded, which was a jailbreak for a try, and he gave a penalty. And, you know, when you looked at the, we looked at the tape, he got it wrong, and I think he admitted to getting it wrong. And then there was a try disallowed, um, which was uh, an excellent try off a set piece um, that was disallowed, and they didn't even go to the TMO. They just ruled it as a double movement. In retrospect, it looked like a try to everybody. And these are massive calls, because that, that basically cost... Uh, the Brumbies the game and I think Gitto got in trouble for making a criticism of the referee he got fined so that was a nasty enough incident then we had Brian O'Driscoll last week um, highlighting his unhappiness um, with, with the situation in the Magnus League and uh, you know I agree with him I've seen Magnus League and some of the refereeing is that's not to be desired then you had Pierre Berbizzi has just been cited in France for having a go at Christophe Berdos uh, at the race in Metro game last weekend where he flagged a player for foul play had the player got carded, and, 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 and that cost them the game. And even last weekend, probably one of the best games of Super 14 all year, the Bulls against Crusaders, we had a couple of calls there that, to me, were just, I thought, were off the beam, you know. And the first turn, I mean, the Crusaders were on fire, and they scored again, I think, the Bulls were gone. And there was a ruck um, where you had the, the Bulls scrum half standing halfway up the ruck. Referee said the ball is out. He picked it up. There was a counterattack. And Hoggart got his first try, and that turned the game on its head. And if you look at the tape, the ball was out, but the scrum half was no, was nowhere on side. He was halfway up the ruck. And then the final call, which awarded the game basically to the Bulls, the final try, I thought that was a knock-on. The ball went forward from the hooker, and then it hit the Canterbury player. And that's deemed a knock-on. The touch judge intervened, said the ball was knocked back by Canterbury player. And when you look at the tape, so in Richie McCall was seeding kept his, his counsel, you know, because he knew if he said Anthony was in trouble. And I I stand back from that and say it's very easy to point out Steve Walsh or the referee in the Magnus League or Christoph Berdos or, 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 or even Mark, uh, Marius Jankos, who's a good referee. And you have to ask the question, if the referees are getting this wrong so much, maybe we're asking too much of them. Have the laws become too complicated or unworkable or do they need more assistance? And I don't often agree with Steve Walsh, but I have to say his reference to needing another referee is something that has to be looked at. The problem is, it seems to me the referees are, are, are being asked to do almost an impossible job. And when they get it wrong, they get a, a slating for it, and everyone's frustrated. 
But the laws have become incredibly complicated. The game is being played at a pace that's never been played at before, and things are happening at 100 miles an hour all the time for 80 minutes. And when these guys get it wrong, it, it costs a lot. I mean, teams lose games, and, and, and it's a professional game, so there's fallout. And it's, it's, it's something that has to be looked at because, you know, every other professional sport at the highest level um, looks at, at the game in terms of adjudication. And look at the American sports. NFL is more than one referee. Basketball is more than one referee. And we're playing on, on, a, on like a couple of acres of ground. You have 30 guys running over 100 miles an hour. It's a difficult game to referee. So instead of blaming the referees, um, we maybe should look at how do we make them better at doing their job, and maybe that's giving them more assistance. And I, I wouldn't be against that at all. I, in fact, I've had this thought for a number of years. I remember arguing this with Owen Doyle, who's the head of referees in Ireland. He, he's against it, but this has gone back three or four years because I can see this coming down the pike. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because I, I raised this on the international program and I uh, got shouted down by my co-host Mark Cashman, who knows absolutely nothing about the game. But uh, we, um, we came to the same conclusions, those who agreed with me, is that it is extremely complicated. And because the, the, uh, the touchies or the assistant referees on the sidelines aren't capable of or unwilling to referee uh, the offside line correctly, the referee in the middle is uh, having to do everything. And uh, I think, yeah, you're right. We have an incredibly... Forget about this nonsense that rugby is a simple game. And it's not. It's incredibly complex compared to a lot of other sports. And unfortunately, the breakdown with its uh, myriad of laws where a referee who just has a bad day can decide at a moment to make a call on, a, on the breakdown or he can let it go. So referees that let it go are praised by the crowd, etc. But if you're in the opposition team who thinks uh, someone's coming in from the side, they're using their hands uh, when they're off their feet, uh, then you're going to be dirty. So we just have so many laws that, uh, that sort of bring the game back. Well, I, I agree. I, I think that there's a number of things that have changed that we haven't adapted to. We haven't adapted to the speed of the game, um, which players are playing at. Much better athletes playing the game, more skilled athletes. The ball doesn't play a lot longer, and the game is travelling a lot quicker. Um, and we have also tinkered with the laws, which have made them a lot more complicated. And we've asked one guy to do the same job all the way through. And, you know, it's, it's hard to get guys to referee. It's, it's a thankless enough job. But if we're going to slate guys as well for making mistakes and put them in possible positions, guys will not referee. It won't, it won't help the game. And, and it's hard not to complain when they go wrong because it's, it's pretty costly. If you lose a Super 14 game or you lose... A Six Nations game, you know, this is all, it's, it's big money nowadays and, 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 and it's about professional sports. So it has to be looked at. And, and I, I'm not at all against the idea of, 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 of more than one referee if they get it done properly. I still think the laws are a bit of a mess. I mean, the scrum is a disaster. Um, that's another. Eddie, Eddie, the scrum laws are not a disaster. The scrum laws are fine. The referees don't call it. And the other thing is the coaches coach things that are illegal. They coach things that are so illegal it's not even funny. And like there are times when Munster spins the scrum around and is facing the wrong direction. And they're not even bound into anyone. The two scrums are facing the exact same way. The referee should bin all eight of them <laughs> and let them get annihilated for ten minutes. Like every one of them gets a yellow card. Just give them, give them all eight of them, because that's who's there. I disagree. And they I, all I disagree. did it deliberately. But, Eddie, what I'm saying is you, you, you're blaming the referee on one end and blame the coach. 
The coaches are coaching. They're no, coaching I'm, not I'm, the players are doing. The players are doing it because they get away with it. The coaches are telling the guys to do it. I I agree with you that most referees have no idea what's going on in the scrum. So do most coaches. Let me finish my point. Okay, Eddie, Eddie, have a free run at it. Bruce, I'm going to put you on mute. (laughs) Go, Eddie. (laughs) My point is, the reason the scrum is a mess is, one, is because we have depowered the tight head side of the scrum. It's it's practically impossible for a tight head to pin a scrum, which is his job, because we force him to bind up high and open up his chest. So... Anyone can pin down a scrum in the modern game is is a magician. And the second part of that is we are now reaping what we sowed 10 years ago when we depowered the scrum at age grade level up to under 20 and under 21. Now guys do not start scrummaging until in their 20s. And the skills of scrummaging that we taught to underage players don't exist anymore. So guys come into the game now having not scrummaged for most of their life and they start scrummaging for real at the age of 20 or 21. And we've also change the law that tight head used to be able to pin the scrum not anymore now i don't know if you can change that back i think that horse is left to stable but the scrum is not a good place at the moment and i'm not blaming the referees i think most of them don't have no idea what's going on the problem is though is that they get out of it by giving penalties and free kicks and you see sometimes you see penalties given one week and free kicks given another week for the same offense so if you take the the scrum is is one of the most defining factors of rugby I mean, the NFL changed it into the line of scrimmage, but that was the original scrum. And we have no idea what's gone in the scrum. And the, the, the giveaway is, Bruce, if you go through the number of resets and the number of infringements that are awarded at scrums, we have a mess in our hands. It's very rare that you get a game where the scrum is actually does the job it's meant to do. And, and I, I don't think I don't think we can solve it very quickly, but I think there are the issues around it. And uh, let me just jump in there. The one thing that uh, I can't stand, Eddie, are the resets. The resets that go on and on. So a decision has to be made at some point that we can't continue to have 40 scrums in a row because if they keep having resets, there was, theoretically there'd be no limit. So the referee has to say, okay, after three goes, someone's not doing something right. Yes. Who is it, though? Who's the person? You see, that's the thing. They don't know. They just ping somebody. And I, I mean, I think they're just stuck with it and they try to deal with it because they're aware they've got to keep the game moving. I agree with you that it is a mess and the resets after reset after reset is a, is a nightmare. Something has to be done about it. Now, you, I think you've got to start thinking outside the box about this, but you could spend the whole show on it and, 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 and maybe get nowhere. But definitely the scrum is a problem area. I mean, you think about it. If you go back um, maybe 15 years... The line-out was the problem area everyone complained about. And we sorted out the line-out, and now the scrum's a problem. If you think back to that, I remember mm. days when the line-out was a mess. It was like the last man standing won the ball. You couldn't predict who'd win a line-out unless you were six foot ten. <laughs> and we, we sorted that out by putting good laws in around the line-out. Um, and we've now, we've now depowered the tight head in the last ten years, and now the scrum is a mess. But that's my take, anyway. And the last time I played in the front row was was under 12s, by the way. (laughs) Yes, Bruce. I I mean, the the tight head has not been depowered. The tight head is not allowed to yank the scrum down on uh, by by cranking his by cranking his arm down, and that's fine. Um, and and they don't they don't make the tight head bind so high that his chest is is an open target for the loose head. You know, that's just not true. What's happening is anytime a team anytime a team loses a hit, they go down. 
And anytime, Eddie, it doesn't it doesn't happen in the Super 14 because they're they are they are they are trying to find out which scrums are mo- are knocking things down, which scrums are doing. The, the fact is that there's a lot of scrums in in the, in the world that don't know how to scrummage. Like people have poor alignment. Phil Vickery got annihilated in the first half against the Lions in the first test exclusively because of his alignment against the Beast. He was lined up head to head. And then he had to step to his left. And anytime you have to step to your left as a tight head prop, you lose all the balance on your right leg. You have to align in that gap. And if you're not aligned in the gap and you don't fire in hard into that gap, you're going to have a problem. The deep power doesn't come because of your arm being able to crank a guy's head down. The deep power comes because you have to be aligned and have equal weight on both legs and be able to put – if your feet were on a scale, you want your feet to be equal – you want your weight to be equally distributed on each – if your feet were on two scales, you want your feet to be equally distributed, the weight on, on, on each foot. You want to be able to be in a solid pushing position and you want to be able to fire in. And so – Everything that comes into a scrum is, 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 is due to distance, alignment, and hit. And that's exactly what's not being coached. What's being coached is create a quote-unquote bleep fight, and that's what people are coaching, and that's how come it's a problem. And, or there's teams like Australia, before they decided to take the scrum seriously – just collapse every scrum and see if they're going to give us a free kick and if they don't give us a free kick. And if they do, chuck the ball somewhere, back up 10 yards, and then they'll have to, you know, they, then they're not going to be able to really run anything effective because we'll have our line set across the field. And, and, and that was, if it wasn't a tactic of Australia, they did it so often that it almost seemed like a tactic. And the wheeling scrums, you could see when guys are going left. And I'm not these. Coaches are coaching it, and if anybody thinks that coaches aren't coaching it or the coaches are saints in this, they're just—they're—they're they're absolutely full of crap. They're full of crap, and and until somebody says, "Hey, you're doing it," bam, you're gone. You put a guy in a bin and you force a flanker off the field in the next scrum, you'll see, you'll see that this is going to stop. Because this crap—it's Eddie. Not I'll tell you right sense. now. First off, scrums are way more powerful than they were in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. They're way more powerful. The guys are stronger. And that's the, guys the problem. Are better that's the problem. All right, all right, Bruce, let's give Eddie a say, and then we'll wind it up on the scrum discussion. Yeah. So, I think, uh, I think the problem is that our scrums are much more powerful. There's, the thing about the wheel, Bruce, is don't forget, it's not illegal to wheel a scrum. There's nothing wrong with wheeling a scrum once you don't whip wheel it. And teams have been penalized at the moment for walking a scrum around which is not illegal. There's nothing in the law that says you can't wheel a scrum. In fact, it's a legitimate tactic. But for some reason, some referees penalise teams for wheeling a scrum. So there's something wrong there to start with. I still think the tie head is a disadvantage. All the power comes through that side, as you know, because everyone packs their left. And if you watch the referees, they're telling the tight heads to keep their arm up high. And if you scrum with your arm up high, the loose head can get under you. And then you have to start bearing down. So that's where the problem starts. There was a lot less collapsed scrums when tight heads were allowed to pin the scrum, I'm not saying about bringing it down, I'm talking about pinning it with their right shoulder. There's the famous golden triangle for the tight head is his right shoulder, his right arm, and his head pinned the loose head. And that was always legitimate. And once they started getting scrums up high, one of the greatest tight heads to play for Ireland, his son plays for Ireland now on the wing, is Des Fitzgerald, his son Luke plays, told me 
that this obsession with getting scrums up high is dangerous because if a scrum falls from up high, a lot can go wrong on the way down. So high scrums don't often mean safe scrums. It's all about stability and the, the, the cornerstone of any scrum is your tight head. And if you take away his ability to pin the scrum, I think you destabilize it. And at the moment, scrums are destabilized. That's my take. All right. Uh, uh, oh, uh, wait, I'm, I'm going to go back. I need to go back to this. This is the, I'm going back to this. I, I'm going to say right now, first off, high scrums are unsafe scrums. I, that was nothing that I said. I, that, that was not in my conversation piece, and I agree with them completely. Secondly, a scrum where your head is below your hips is unsafe. You can be low, and you could still you could still legally pin a guy if you put your head out. What teams are doing is they're scrumming to the left, and everybody's moving to the. If you move to the right and you move out, you could still legally pin a guy. There's no there's nothing that says you can't pin him. What you can't do is attack the hooker, put your head below your hips, and collapse the damn thing. And the other thing is, those wheels, those wheels are not, if you drive a scrum forward and you wheel it and everybody is past the gain line, you get a turnover. It is a legitimate wheel. If you try to wheel a scrum by walking around it and you're trying to, you know, go around the tight head and unbind and peep and peep, that's illegal. It's absolutely in the laws that it's illegal and you should be popped. And the second time, you should go to the bin. And the third time, you should go to the red card bin. It, and, and there's no excuse for this. Scrum attack ball is excellent attacking ball. And if they want to make the game a disaster because they can't get into a pushing contest with a guy, that's I, I, have, my, I have my feelings on scrums. And I'm saying the tight head is, has always been at a disadvantage. He has never not been at a disadvantage. The natural wheel of the scrum, exactly, due to the exactly. center of gravity, goes. But, but you can't allow the guy to. You can't allow the guy to in yank position, into the ground. All right, uh, Eddie. Eddie, final word on this. We're we're running out of time. Yep. It's All right, like we the move old on. joke. He used to hook the ball with his head. I mean, it's just it, – it, 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 and also scrum, the scrums are just not as – and I'll let Eddie get the final word after. The scrums are not – scrums didn't come in – look at look at scrums in the 73 Barbarians All Blacks game. Look at scrums from, you know, the 87 World Cup or something. They just, they just kind of leaned in and everybody kind of hit it whatever time they felt like hitting and everybody was a bit high and it wasn't anything – it's a lot different today. And, 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 and coaches are coaching guys to, you know, the dark arts or the front row, whatever. Coaches are coaching guys to cheat. And referees have to ref people to stop cheating. And because that's a blight on the game. It's the one thing that these two packs do eight on eight. It's the one thing that they have. And when teams cheat, it's extremely frustrating. And when referees call it wrong, it's even more frustrating. All right, Eddie. Hey, so you, you, okay, Let, let's let's finish the uh, scrum discussion. And uh, you know what I'd love to do, Bruce, is actually get the missing link, Ewan McKenzie, to talk about it because he was one of the great tight heads, and uh, he he can actually articulate the argument very well from that uh, from that uh, realm, uh, having played over fifty Test matches for Australia in the number three jersey. Eddie, we 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 are are basically out of time. I just want to quickly mention this. Um, the IRB is meeting with uh, with coaches in Dublin, and it's only for Tier One, and Tier Two is missing yeah. out. Uh, you, are you a bit aggrieved by that? Well, yeah, I, I think it's it's a it's a bit of, it's a bit frustrating because, um, and this just follows on from our, our our discussions on the law that 
you know, there's been a lot of talk about interpretation, and, and I think there's a lot of talk during the Six Nations. They weren't the coaches weren't happy with how, how things were being adjudicated. So I think there was a, the original meeting in, of the IRB conference this week in Dublin was to talk about administration issues and high performance directors and stuff were to be there, and then it kind of morphed into where the coaches wanted to talk, and they decided to bring in the tier one coaches now. Um, and USA is represented at this on, on the administration front. And by the way, that conference has been cancelled now because of the volcano, but they're still meeting the Tier 1 coaches. And I, I even inquired about getting to it as a Tier 2 coach, and I was told really wasn't possible that they would talk to the Tier 1 coaches and send us out a DVD, which is a bit frustrating because, you know, DVDs are fine, but they're not the real thing. The, the best information I've ever got at these conferences is to be on the ground talking to coaches, talking to referees, discussing issues, finding out what the hot buttons are and what they're looking for. And what worries me is that we go into the summer now um, without kind of anything, only this information secondhand. And if there's no more of these meetings for the World Cup, that's the way it would be for us. So I'm kind of a bit frustrated we didn't, as a Tier 2 team, didn't get a chance to be on, on the ground with the other coaches uh, when they're talking about this. And I suppose um, that's, that's, that is frustrating. I can't put any other way than that. Do you think it's a case of uh, Tier 2 second-class citizens then? I, I, don't, I don't know, I guess. I think they, they, there wasn't an original plan to have this and then they decided to have the Tier 1s and then we heard about it in Tier 2s and started talking about it. So they didn't, ha they didn't figure it through that there'd be that many people want to get to it. So I don't know if they have, they have the facilities or they have the, the arrangements made to take a bigger group of people in. But it does make you feel like uh, if you're in Tier 2, uh, you are a little bit second class. So... Um, and they, I mean, I've talked, we've talked to the RB about it, and they said they're going to get the information to us and we can have a conference call. But it's just a bit disappointing that we can't be on the ground and find out exactly what's being discussed in Dublin uh, tomorrow, in fact, and, and Thursday. All right. So, um, Eddie, before I let you go, um, I need to ask you uh, are you getting out and about? Are you going to have a look at the uh, Super League playoffs? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm hoping to get to. Uh, down this weekend to, I'm not far from Denver so I see the Denver Barbarians playing which I think as Bruce rightly pointed out is the game that's probably the one to watch it'll be a very tight game so I'm looking forward to that game um, the weekend after um, I'm just going to see the way the, the lie, lie of the land is and see if I can get to one of the uh, final four games um, see who's who and what's what but um, yeah and we're into camp then before we know it for the Churchill Cup all right. Well, Eddie, thanks for joining us. Uh, it uh, was a nice heated discussion with Bruce in the front row, but uh, he's pretty passionate about the scrum. Good luck with the um, uh, with the next series of uh, well, with the next few months as as you continue to uh, fine tune before we head to New Zealand. And uh, we appreciate your time and, and love to get you back very very soon. Thanks very much, Joel. And uh, I'll see you in uh, New Jersey, Bruce. <laughs> yeah, I'll see you in New Jersey, Eddie, and uh, I, I may, I I just, while we were doing the podcast, I got a call from Dave Metcalf, I I actually am on the, uh, I am the non-referee on the, on the National Panel Referee Assessment Group uh, of, of the, of the top assessors, so I, I may have to go to a Churchill Cup match to, uh, to go to a, to go to a, a conference on refereeing and how they evaluate and 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 choose referees for 
for uh, t- the top level of playing the USA and pick their A panel guys. So I may actually be out in Denver as much as I as much as I would prefer to do it on a conference call. But that all being said, we'll we'll talk about that another day. But yeah, it was Eddie. Thanks a lot for being on. I know it was it was nice. It was nice that you had uh, had given us some information and 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 although we disagreed a little bit about the scrum i think we agreed in principle in some things i just you know i i i you know i i just have very strong feelings about technique is 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 okay now the uh when can we have you back is it we probably would be best after the churchill cup or or maybe yeah, to well, get you back just prior to the canada um i'm a, like i'm making an assumption and again assume is a uh is a tough thing but it, it, maybe we'll try to get you back prior to the Canada match. Well, I tell you prior what, prior to you coming would, into Jersey or when you're in Jersey, I'm I'm available anytime. I, I like talking rugby, as you know, and uh, enjoyed enjoyed today's discussions. And, and anytime you need me back, just give me a call, and I'll be there. Well, that's so, fantastic, Eddie. That's that's fantastic. All right. Um, thank you for joining us. This this could this could turn this could turn into the Eddie O'Sullivan weekly radio show <laughs> like you'd be a college football coach well, we and, then, to... and then like you slowly just say hey alright Bruce get the hell out of yeah, here. Yeah. Bruce uh, <laughs> don't call us we'll call you over Skype. Um, Alright Eddie O'Sullivan that is Eddie O'Sullivan 3 on Rugger Matrix USA. Thanks for your time and uh, good luck over the next uh, couple of months before we speak to you or well, hopefully just a couple of weeks. Alright Eddie thanks for joining us. Thanks, Gerald. Bye-bye. There's Eddie O'Sullivan from Boulder tonight. And, Bruce, thank you very much. Good luck this weekend as Super League continues. Yes, we will need it, and I appreciate it. And that is it for Rugger Matrix USA. Episode 20 in the can. We'll catch up with you next week.